You're listening to Podcast with Yoshi Obayashi. Okay, Rosie, we're doing another episode. You're feeling sick. What's going on? <laughs> um, I have a cold. It looks like it's going around. My husband got sick as well, and six or seven of his coworkers are sick. And a bunch of people I know are sick, so I think there's just the end of tail end of flu season is hitting us. Um, I've always been curious because there, there's times when I call you. It, it seems like maybe once a month I'll call you. Um, like you, you for feel, money? No, no. Well, that that's like every three months. But you sound fatigued a lot. Is that some condition or? You... <laughs> Thanks, Yoshi. You're like you sound very sickly, Rosie. <laughs> um, well, I do have some conditions. I'm hypoglycemic, severely hypoglycemic, pre-diabetic. Wait, wait. What, what's the first one? What is that? Hypoglycemia is a related to diabetes. It's a blood sugar condition. So I have to eat every hour to. Two hours, two and a half hours max, or otherwise um, I get dizzy. I didn't know that. Yeah. And. And it's I have the type of diabetes that's hereditary, not from my poor eating habits. As you can see, I'm thin and I take care of myself. So my grandmother died of diabetes. So. I don't really think. Is this a stereotype that I don't know of? Like I don't associate Asian people with diabetic problem. I notice black people that seem like a big concern for them. Um, Asians usually have stress. Yeah. And high cholesterol because we have a lot of seafood in our diet. Yeah. And seafood tends to be high cholesterol. Um, and I know for sure Japanese have a higher um, uh, rate of. Having stomach cancer because Japanese have so much salt in their food, soy sauce, soy sauce, yeah, and, miso yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah, um, I don't know if it's a stereotype, but I know that my family has it. My aunt is diabetic. My grandmother passed away from diabetes, and my mom is pre-diabetic. So some people uh, have it because genetic, and others develop because of their uh, their lifestyle. lifestyle yeah. Okay. So I have it for genetic purposes. And to explain diabetic problem, well, I don't know if this is going to be a medical episode, but. <laughs> you're like, how come every time I call I, you, I, I know, I know it has something to do with sugar level, right? Like yeah. if you have too much or too little, it's got to be at the right balance, correct? That and the um, the different secretions of your organs to keep the insulin levels and mm-hmm. everything like that. So it's a genetic thing. And I just, I, I didn't know what it was until I was um, older. When I was little, I would yeah. get so hungry in class and dizzy and I wasn't able to focus and um, it was really irritating because my teachers would always, you know, say, oh, you know, well, it's your fault because you didn't eat breakfast or it's your fault. Sure. Because, but I would always eat a huge breakfast. I always ate a huge breakfast. And I actually, when I was a little kid, would sneak off to the bathroom and eat food in the bathroom because for some reason there's no food allowed in class. I think it's a way to control kids. Um, but yeah, so I have to eat and I, um, I get tired and weak and stuff like that, so... Andrew, when we first started dating, my husband didn't believe that it was real <laughs> because he had never heard of anyone having that. And he just thought I was being grumpy because I wasn't eating. Sure. But there was times when he saw me and I've 
um, gone into hypoglycemic fit before in the middle of the night. Yeah. He has to run downstairs and get me orange juice and stuff. It's it's weird you say that. <laughs> Be- because this must have been good five, six years ago, maybe seven years ago. I went to Santa Monica with Russell Peters. And I forgot the, his friend from Toronto, from Canada. Very nice guy. And I thought he was goofy. Because we were walking down, you know, the um, Santa Monica, that that road where all the fun festive stores are, the people are doing like... Oh, the promenade? promenade? Yeah, yeah, we were yeah. walking down there. And Russell's friend said, oh, I need to drink orange juice. Like, I go, ha ha, like, come on, what are you talking about? And he, he literally kind of fainted. He's, he's a white guy, but his face literally turned... Uh, white, white. Right, or blue. And I think me or Russell, one of us ran to fucking McDonald's to get orange juice, you know, and then we had to give it to him. Then, you know, it's scared. It's really scared me. I thought he was going to die on the spot right there. Yeah, I usually keep granola bars or snacks in my purse. Yeah. And then uh, I have to elaborately plan my meals. So, for example, you and I went to go see Trevor Noah the other night. I ate before we went. And then I had snacks in my purse, and then I, I had a snack while we were there. I ate yeah. some cheesecake, and then after I left, we had to eat. And I can't do anything that's not planned. Like, anytime I do any long activity or activity where I have to elaborately plan Meals. my day. Yeah. So yeah. It's, it's a little bit of a hassle, but, you know, the other alternative is fainting or falling into hypoglycemic fit and or coma, which has happened. But you don't me. have diabetic. You're not diabetic. I'm not right? diabetes yet. No. Diabetic yet. No. But if you ended up having it, that's like permanent, right? Um, you can maintain it. I'm not a hundred percent sure. Um, also, what I have is very hard to to diagnose because my blood sugar levels go up and down. And usually, when they test for blood sugar at a normal checkup, they just test your blood once. Yeah. But to find what I have, you have to do what it's called a glucose curve, where you go to the doctor and they give you like a sugary drink and you drink it, and then they test your blood sugar in an hour, and then you drink another one, and they test your blood sugar in an hour. But it's really pointless to do the test because there's no cure for it. All I have to do is maintain my blood sugar, which is eat every But what is that shit that people do? They stick needles and see how much, what's their blood level or something? I've seen diabetic people Yeah, do so they test their blood sugar. Am I saying that right? Diabetic or diabetic? Yeah, diabetic. Okay. They test their blood level and then if they need insulin. So I can't remember if it's your pancreas that, su- so that submits. So you put insulin because your body's not creating adequate insulin. It's not making insulin. enough. Right. It's not making enough or it's making too much or your body isn't processing it correctly jesus what a fucking mess thanks yoshi <laughs> well i didn't know you had it i haven't spoken to the guy but david cho supposedly have it now like he was pre but now he supposedly have it mm-hmm. and i just wonder a person who was hired to be his fitness person nutritionist either he failed to uh, provide adequate service uh, granted, Dave's a very difficult guy to deal with. So I, th- I think even if you want to work with him, workouts and meal, I don't know how how much he's going to follow that. You know. Also, it's really frustrating, and I think it's a good example of trusting yourself and honoring yourself because, like, I went on this USO tour, and the guys on the tour were major partiers. All they wanted to go was go out at night and drink and party. Yeah. And they kept giving me a hard time, like, "Oh, you're a pussy. Oh, what's wrong with you?" Because I needed to rest and I needed to eat. Yeah. And they were just taking at it as it, as I was being a coward, I was being a pussy, I didn't really know how to party. And no, I have a medical condition, but they just kept denying it. And I've met people, a lot of people are deniers, I don't yeah. know why, you know. Um, and so it's just basically, if I was an insecure person, you know, maybe I would have 
tried to quote unquote prove myself by going out with them and then went yeah. passed out and gotten sick. So a lot of people, you know, you really need to trust yourself and other people would just be like, screw you. You know, you don't know me. You don't know who I am. And, um, see, I think my problem is I have more mental illness element, you know, like I think, you know, those people who haven't seen dentists for like 10 years, they're, 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 they're afraid to go see dentists. Yes, I do. And because they want, they're, they don't know what horrific thing the dentist is going to say, you need to do this, this and that, you know. But is that solving the problem by avoiding going to the dentist? No, no, but, I mean, <laughs> but that's the analogy. Like, I don't know what my problem is, but if I go, I just think that. A therapist only only sound they're gonna hear is ching ching right? <laughs> what am I supposed to do? I mean, you know, I mean, I'm four or five four years away from turning fifty, and and um, have I known you that long? You're almost fifty. I'm forty six. I remember when I met you, you were like what thirty five. I met you twelve years ago. Oh my gosh. Eleven, twelve years ago. You're almost fifty. Yeah. Arrested development. <laughs> Uh, before we continue, I'd like to um, say a couple of things. First, this episode is sponsored by Edwin San Juan. He is the resident stand-up comic at Las Vegas Live Comedy Club, in obviously in Las Vegas at Planet Hollywood Casino. Go check out Edwin San Juan's show. He's, he's a terrific, funny guy, and uh, he's a very sweet guy. And he will talk every one of you after the show. And also, Freddie Correa, um, he has a podcast called Thanks for the Invite. He is the new uh, DVD producer for the show. Um, Rosie is also a consultant on the show as well. And I'd like to thank Ernie Hurtado, who um, was kind enough to help me for two years on Yoshi Den as a producer and taking all the audio um, stuff for this podcast. So um, Ernie's very busy, working on tons of uh, important work. And uh, Freddie is taking over as of, uh, I guess, last week or so. So thanks. And um, three more things. I just have to mention three podcasts that I recently did, and they were kind enough to have me for guests. So I'd like to thank, um, am I saying this right, Rosie? Jennifer Carmody? I don't know her. Um, that looks right, Carmody. Yeah, she has a podcast called Carmody Central, and uh, Jennifer is kind enough to have me on the show. We all I did a little over two hours, I think. It was a really fun conversation. She used to date Jim Norton, and she had a, <laughs> she has um <laughs> A lot of interesting guests on the show, Jim, of course, Colin Quinn, Amy Schumer, and, you know, I don't want to put me into the same category with them, but um, she was very kind to have me on the show, and i also like to thank Josh Gross. I think you know Josh, right? I met him. He was on David Seaman's podcast, the um, David Seaman Hour, and I'm friends with David Seaman. Yeah, Josh. I met him at a dinner. He, uh, I, I, this is not an exaggeration, Josh Gross, number one mixed martial art reporter in the whole world. There's no one who knows martial art, makes martial art like Josh Groves. Is that what you guys talked about? Um, he he had a podcast. We were, we were supposed to have lunch because I kind of, uh, not help, but I was encouraging him to work on some project. He's got a book deal and we were going to, we went to lunch, celebrate, but he told me, why don't you just come to my studio? I'm recording an episode, a podcast. He re recorded with... Um, two or three very important people in mixed martial art. It's hard for me to talk about that stuff because I know other sports, like I feel comfortable talking about American football, basketball, baseball, and um, not quite um, versed in mixed martial art. But uh, what, I, what little I could talk about it, we talked about a little bit yesterday. And 
I mean, he's got a, a great following, and uh, I'm very happy with Josh getting a book deal. I don't want to get in detail because I think that's something that he need to uh, address. I don't know if you talk about it, so I want to keep it um, discreetly. But he's got a book deal. I'm really um, happy for him. Very, very interested when the book is released early next year. Uh, so Josh Gross's podcast, Gross Point Blank, very just such an amazing, informative mixed martial art podcast, and he get just big names, absolutely big names. Uh, interviewing them and he get requests ESPN radio station in St. Louis San Francisco New York I mean he's the D guy to talk to for Mixed Martial Art and you should have him uh, on your podcast um, and also I did the Comics on Comics podcast which is one of the podcasts on SciShow Network and it's the show run by Vito and Juan and I was one of the two guests and the other one's Eric Barnes and we talk about a lot of interesting um, current pop culture stuff regarding comic books and movies. And Vito's a really cool guy. I know. Yeah. He used to be a door guy at the improv. He's, he's, he's a fantastic. Really, really cool writer. Nice person. And and uh, can we remind everyone your podcast, Rosie? Sure. Out of the Box Podcast. It's on iTunes, Stitchers, and SoundCloud. Please listen and subscribe. Any big show coming up for you? Um, I don't have any big shows coming up, but I'm going to be filling up my calendar for the rest of the year, so hopefully something soon. I took a little break. I just did the TV taping last week, which was good. When is that out? Um, I'm not sure. They're still in post-production. Huh. I heard Tina Kim did really well. <laughs> I'm not going to badmouth anyone on the podcast, Yoshi, but yes, she uh, she had a good set. <laughs> oh my god. She is such a fucking cunt. All right. Um... <laughs> And finally, I, I just have to say, um, next weekend, the last three or four days of May, uh, I will be in Phoenix, Arizona, Phoenix Comic Con. I'm doing between one to maybe up to three panels with Chris Gore. I don't know exactly what yet because he usually tells me the last minute what I'm doing with him. <laughs> but also, I'm doing five shows in Phoenix on Tempe Improv, May 28th. 8 p.m. I'm doing a show with Edwin San Juan. I'm, I'm opening for him there. And Friday and Saturday, um, May 29th and 30th, two shows per night at Speakeasy Comedy Lounge, Friday and Saturday, two shows each. And I don't know the time, but that's it. Sorry about all this uh, unnecessary um, promotion. Promo. <laughs> yes. You know, I think that's really, really cool and big of Edwin to let you work with him because your content is so different he's very clean and family friendly and you're a little bit darker more blue I'm very despicable compared to you are but a lot of comedians are intimidated by that comedians that we both know and a lot of comedians would say no Yoshi you can't open with me for me you can't work for me because that material contradicts my material I think that shows what a strong headliner Edwin is and what a nice guy he is that he doesn't let that face him there are times when people don't want me to open for them and it's not like they're cowards like like um I mean, this is how great Gabriel Iglesias is. He told me, hey, bro, I really like you, you know, and uh, I'd like to, you know, have me work for me. But um, it's just my fan base. It's just a little too much. Like, <laughs> but, you know, I wouldn't even dare asking Gabriel, like, give me a job because it's, it would be so absurd. But he, it, that's how I consider he, he I, I think I, I consider him as a friend and I think he considered me as his friend. He, he was very nice for him. There was like a comedy uh, festival that he created two years ago, and I couldn't believe he invited me. The L L O L, right? Um, LOL? This was in Phoenix, I think, but it was like Gabriel Iglesias Comedy Festival, something, something, yeah, yeah. two years ago, and I couldn't believe it, but he put me in the duty portion, obviously. But, <laughs> um, 
I, I couldn't believe. I mean, that's how. I mean. No, I wasn't referring to him, but I know other headliners that maybe not you personally, but I know her, certain headliners that have said to other comedians, "Oh, you're too dirty. You're too dark. You're too edgy." I'm not going to let you open for me for that yeah. reason. And I think I just don't respect that. So I think that it shows what a great guy Edwin is. Yeah. And for, how, for sure. how strong and confident he is with his material and his fan base. I mean, I, I think uh, you're, you're, there's a lot of truth what you're saying. But I could also understand if you're super clean like Brian uh, Regan. Like, uh, am I saying his name right? I, I could kind of understand, like, why you wouldn't want to put a guy like me on the show because you, you do People are paying good money to see him. You don't want to upset them either. So I, I kind of understand. Depends on the, which comedian. I'm not know? talking about guys like Brian Regan, and I understand that point of view. I'm talking about certain headliners who are insecure with their material yeah. and feel threatened by material that might be edgier. And I'm not going to name names, but I know people like that. that yeah, sure. Or people that get, up, get upset because you're Asian and they're Asian and they don't want two Asians on the lineup. Or they're a woman and I'm a woman or whatever reason. I just think that's cowardly. I, I know who exactly you're talking about. <laughs> and it's not a good good thing because you only hear audio, but I'm winking my eyes. All right. <laughs> so can, can we talk a little bit about it before we talk Game of Thrones? And I'm, we, I apologize you know, if you're not into it. We are. <laughs> You know, so, all right, um, you know, I'm a way older than you, obviously, but um, what is it? Three days ago, David Letterman retired, and um, definitely he has a special place in my heart. What year you were born? 1984, Yoshi. So you were born two years after... Dave Letterman premiere his uh, Late Night with Dave Letterman show. I grew up with Letterman and Leno, for sure. But because I wasn't a stand-up comedy fan until I started doing stand-up comedy, I'm not as into him as some of the other young comics in my generation. Sure. I honestly grew up, you know, I was more into fashion, shopping, really girly stuff. Honestly, I didn't even watch stand-up till I was two years in. And actually, you yelled at me. One time we were doing a show. I want you to yell at you once. <laughs> no, multiple times. But you yelled at me because... I don't remember this. Yoshi, you yelled at me so many times. But you yelled at me because I didn't know who George Carlin was and Bill Hicks and all these other comics. So you said, Rosie, you really need to watch stand-up. And I actually consider it a blessing that I didn't watch stand-up when I first started because I was able to develop my own style. Mm-hmm. Whereas a lot of people... I've talked about this before. For example, people who are Dane Cook fans who are stand-ups, their material is very Dane Cook-esque. Yeah. Or people that are very Bill Hicks fans, their material is very Bill Hicks-esque. Yeah. I just developed what I thought was funny because I didn't know anything about stand-up. So after you yelled at me, I rented a bunch of DVDs on Netflix or whatever was out at the time, the video store, and I watched a bunch of classic stand-up, Eddie Murphy, Raw, and everything that people quote all the time, and Richard Pryor. But prior to that, I was not a stand-up comedy fan. Right. So I didn't grow so up. So you're anti laughter and, and <laughs> happiness. Um, what would your parents watching? Did they did they watch anything funny when they were growing up? Oh, my parents. Besides, you know, documentary where they win <laughs> Vietnam War. My parents are so serious. My dad watched all those Charles Bronson movies in the eighties. Oh my god! You mean like Death Wish and things yeah, like that? Charles yeah, Charles Bronson, Rambo, all these Vietnam War movies, Hamburger Hill. Uh, my dad was a huge boxing fan. He would watch boxing, and I would sit on the floor and play dolls while he watched boxing. Yeah. Um, and I'm talking about, like, boxing, boxing, not MMA, not, you know, sure. fight, like, boxing, like, old-school boxing. He was a huge boxing fan. He didn't watch football. He didn't watch basketball. He just watched boxing. Um, and 
those old school Vietnam War movies from the 80s and 90s, just like on repeat. And then my mom doesn't watch TV at all. And the only thing she does is listen to the Beatles. <laughs> so. Interesting. So. She got a good taste in music. You got to say. But that's all she would listen to. She would just listen to the Beatles like on repeat on a cassette tape. So my parents are not the best consumers of media, I guess. Were your sisters in uh, comedy too? Or not really? It was just you. I wasn't into comedy at all. I got into comedy because I was dating a guy in high school that wanted to be a stand-up comedian. That's the only reason? Yeah. And he would force me to go to his open mic shows in New Orleans. Is he still doing comedy? No. He's quit. But, um... And I would sit there and watch these shows, and I was—I just felt like it was torture. I was like, this is awful. This is horrible. Sure. Because I was watching open mic comics. I wasn't yeah. watching professional comedians. And, and, you know, some of the guys are still doing comedy now, and they're amazing, they're hilarious, but at the time, they were open micers. And um, I just thought, this is awful. And the way I started doing comedy is he would do these horrible bits, and then we'd go back to his house, and I'd say, why don't you try to say it like this? This is funnier. Yeah. And then he would, a couple times, he would take my advice, and it would be funnier. Sure. So that's how I kind of got bitten by the bug. That's interesting. I wonder where you got that, that you had that sense of, like, what's funny, you know? To me, it was obvious, and me and my sister, little sister, have really silly senses of humor, and we were the kind of people who would go see movies, and we would be laughing, but no one else would be laughing. Sure. So I think we kind of had that stand-up comedy mind. I don't know why. We just had it. Yeah. I, I, don't, I, I haven't seen your si- younger sister in a while, but she did seem pretty cautious. She's very witty, and she's very sarcastic, and she has that wit about her, and she's you know a literature mm-hmm. major and English PhD student right now, so she has that mental part of comedy but we would just always watch movies and we would laugh and no one else would be laughing and and sometimes that, that happens a lot when i watch family guy or watch certain shows sure with, with quote-unquote non-comics they won't get the multiple layers of jokes sometimes there's multiple layers of jokes in yeah there. so we had that going she's studying english literature right yeah so uh, um, that kind of makes sense um able to you know i think in a European, like a literary tradition, especially in English literature, really to read irony, because sometimes that shit go over people's heads. Oh, right? a lot of times in puns and, yeah. and, and sarcasm and irony, you know, there's so many times that I've, what I like about Family Guy is they have a lot, of, I think there's a lot of stand-ups on the writing staff because there's a lot of jokes in there for stand-ups, specifically for stand-ups. Yeah. And um, they're inside jokes. Sure. Yeah, so I like that. And I think I think that's the beauty about animated series, or when you see uh, animated movies. I think the kids obviously get them the silly uh, stuff. Silly right? stuff yeah. they enjoy it, but there will be wordplay or whatnot that the kids don't get because they're too young. That kind of stuff uh, is pleasing to adults, you know. Like if I'm going to be tortured by sending these dumb kids to <laughs> watch some animated series, but when they insert stuff like that, that makes it enjoyable. For both parties, for the two different reasons. Or sometimes there's a couple animated movies. I've uh, not Toy Story. I can't remember what the last one I saw, but there was a couple like double layered jokes and even sex jokes that the kids would not get at sure. all. And I was like, wow, that's pretty clever. So some of the animated movies I've seen in the last few years are better than the you know live action films I've seen. Now, when you talk about irony and things like that, that the one person who brought it to Amer- forefront American comedy and late night talk show is Dave Letterman. Now, um, I'm old enough to remember a person who Letterman looked up to was Johnny Carson. You know, and I think that's um, 
So sorry I'm not a huge Letterman fan and I can't go on and on, but I do know the story and the history and I know the history with Joan Rivers and yeah. and Joan Rivers was supposed to take over, you know, Carson. I know the whole history of it, but I wasn't I didn't grow up with idolizing Letterman the way most comedians my age do. Yeah. Um but the thing is that like by the time you were interested in comedy, he went to uh, CVS and he changed his style because 11.30 crowds are quite different from 12.30. For one thing, if you're watching a 12.30 show, chances are you're probably a young person, perhaps you're in colleges mo most of the time, or high school kids. So when Letterman's doing subversive humor, um, it was very acceptable to younger generation. But 11.30, that's a different animal. You know, you, you're talking folks ready to go to bed, going to work next day. People in Midwest and South, they're probably, not that they're not smart, it's, it's a different type of humor. It's more blue state humor. Whereas Leno, uh, I remember hearing, um, oh, what's his name? He used to be New Wave Entertainment, Barry Katz, yeah. He was interviewing and talking to Leno and basically, I think Barry, if I remember the story, like, how are you going to be Letterman? And I think Leno basically said, I'm going to beat him through, or I'm going to beat him with comedy. And Barry Katz laughed. But he was right. What what Leno did differently was he has a longer monologue, monologue in the beginning talking about national topic, right? Something that everybody's talking about that week. And if you're like folks who work all day, you want to just kind of relax and go to bed, uh, you watch first 10 minutes of Leno, you get all the news for the week, or for that day, through his jokes, you know? So... Um, Rating-wise, there's no question, except for that first two years, Leno beat Letterman. There's not even a question about that. What about Ferguson? Are you a fan of Craig Ferguson? I like Ferguson. I, he kind of reminds me s s in a similar offshoot of uh, Letterman, I think. You know, he used to have interesting, like, philosopher and scientists on the show that it's unheard of for a late-night talk show. I really like Craig Ferguson. I like Con I like Conan because he's very quirky. Yeah. And I like Ferguson because he's very relaxed. His show vibe was very relaxed and matter of fact mm -hmm. and very s kind of silly and very authentic. Sure. And so I felt more comfortable with him. Leno and Letterman felt a little bit older for me. Yeah. yeah. Because they, they were older. Yeah. But I remember Letterman as a kid. Man, he... It, I forgot how good that show was. You know, I, I just watched the last episode, CBS. Letterman is not that sentimental, but it was really amazing to see. He thanked everyone. He thanked his wife and his son, Harry. I've never seen his son before. They came on the show, right? Yeah, he's 12 years old. And what made it funny, his son, Harry Letterman, brought his best friend and... Um, you know, Letterman, I don't remember exactly what Letterman said, but he basically gave you a round of applause for this kid who is his son's best friend. It was kind of uh, funny, you know, like mm -hmm. two kids. And then I just saw two nights ago the first episode with Late Night with Dave Letterman, which was on NBC. When, when Letterman went to CBS, it became Late Show with Letterman. But um, I, I really forgot the opening intro what made, what that show made me feel when I was a kid. It, it was like something I talked to my friend Sam, Sam Smith. We used to love talking about Letterman next day at high school. And, you know, stupid pet trick. <laughs> he put a camera on the monkey, and this monkey was running around the studio. He had Alka-Seltzer all over his body. He would jump into a huge container of water. 
and hear a bell crow, he'll run against the wall, he'll stick himself, or he'll throw a large object outside of that tall building. Or when Brian Gumble. Have you seen the Eric Andre spoof on the Velcro thing? No. Oh, it's so funny. Um, you, you, do you watch Eric Andre show? No. Oh my god. I gotta show you a couple clips after. He does a he does a Velcro um, spoof where he has the people jump through the Velcro, but the board is falls apart as soon as. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not really familiar with his stuff. I'm gonna, I'll show. I you know a he's very clips. loud. He's very funny. Um. Anyway. Uh, I guess we can't really talk too much of it because you haven't watched it. Um, I feel bad when Leno got all those like backlash from comedians because people say Leno actually had um, most votes, I guess, or the crowd, you know, just the, the rating was higher with Leno. Um, but I think... Because Letterman was supposed to be John Carson's predecessor, right? I mean, that's what Johnny wanted it. Johnny wanted Dave Letterman to take over tonight's show. And I don't know if this reference makes sense, but I, I, I think when it, whenever I think about Leno right now, he's from Boston, so I kind of think, he kind of reminds me of New England Patriots. Okay. <laughs> and, you know, you can't question Patriots' success last 15 years, four Super Bowls, more than anyone else. But there's something, I don't want to say slimy, but there's something sneaky about them. Because Leno's thing was he was hiding in a closet when uh, all the executives were talking to each other who they should pick. Leno over Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, this is like a, a old news. Like, he was hiding in a closet listening to where, what the executives were talking about. And, uh, and he even confirmed later when he did that. So there's a little sneakiness to Leno, but Leno worked really hard and gave what people wanted. Whereas Letterman, I really believe this, he give people what they really need, you know. But I think when you... So you kind of feel like uh, Leno is like n not the underdog, whatever the opposite of underdog is, right? Because the Patriots are kind of the opposite of the underdog. People, they, they have nothing but success. Yeah, people kind of like love to hate the Patriots a little bit. Yeah, I think... I think I think, I think Yankees are kind of like that too. Oh, sure. Even though it's a different sport. And... But Letterman almost have a universal love and respect from all the comedians. You know, like Kimmel and Conan O'Brien on Wednesday said, "Stop watching this show. Watch Letterman." That's how much respect they were given to that guy. They didn't do that for, for the Leno, you know. And I have a lot of friends work for Leno. That Tonight Show with Leno, I mean, it changed my life. I, I used to go there, meet a lot of uh, celebrities. I saw how hard to run shows like that successfully, you know, consistent basis. So. I have nothing against Leno. I like his stand-up. He was very nice to me. I'm just saying this is the uh, general view that people have about him, you know. And then may maybe he didn't give you the sophisticated jokes like Letterman did. But, you know, people most... I would say the most down-to-earth populace like Leno over Letterman. But um, I, was, I was very sad. You know, the show ended with Foo Fighters playing the music that Letterman liked, but... But he can't go on and on forever. I mean, things have to end, right? And it's better to... Oh, no, no, it's ending on his turn. Yeah, it's better to end on top, just like Seinfeld, just like, you know, I don't know if you were a Rick Moranis fan, he kind of left on top. Sure. He was a big actor in the 90s in stand-up. He quit because he wanted to spend more time with his family. He made a shitload of money, his too. His wife had breast cancer, but he wanted to... I think she passed away. He want, he, he said, screw Hollywood. He goes, I, I made a bunch of money, I'm a huge star... You know, he's a bunch of 90s movies, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, and all this other stuff, Ghostbusters. And he thought, okay, I'm done. And I kind of like that, because I think a lot of celebrities and people hold on too long now. Sure. And then their career goes downhill, and they have a comeback, and then they're, 
you know, it's like too much. It's like, just take the money, take the fame and get out. Let someone else have their time. Sure. I, I think this is probably true for anything we do. Like, know when to end, when to yeah, stop. Yeah, go out on top. Yeah. You know, why not? Why keep going on and on and on and then you're a has-been and then you're depressed because you didn't have what you used to have? It's too much, you know? But this is something you learn from American history, American government, that one of the uh, unbelievable things President um, George Washington did, he was obviously first president of the United States, that they want him to run for third time and fourth time and the five, you know, uh, fifth term. And after two terms, he quit. Why? Um, because if you're a politician, power is so addicting. And, and one of the most difficult things you could ever ask anyone with power is to give up power. And then uh, I think it's incredible what he did for this country, the, the president to just give up. And I'm, I, um, I'm, I'm really am sad that he went because he quit, Letterman, because I, I never saw him live. I had a chance three years ago. I don't know what I was thinking. I was What's just, up with you? You're missing all these important live people. <laughs> You're like, how come, Rosie, you met all these people I didn't meet. Well, you probably had a chance. I mean, you meet so many celebs. Well, no, no. I mean, I had a chance to go and watch the show as an audience member. Okay. But, um, you know, but that was just like right after I got fired and I wasn't really in the right place. But I thought he was going to go for another 10, 15 years. I really did, you know. I, I, it really shocked me last year when he said he was retiring. Okay, what have you learned from this? Because you told me the same thing about Robin Williams and told me the same thing about Joan. Next time you get a chance to see someone you want to see, Yoshi, you go see them. Um, I didn't have access to the, those other two. Um, maybe I was too cheap to pay for tickets to go see them but <laughs> if I go I wanted to go access like a uh, backstage and stuff. <clears throat> I didn't have I didn't have access to all three of them that way um, so that's it um, I'm very sad Letterman's going but he looks very happy uh, he's got a son and I, I just not, wish him nothing but the best and uh, the shows are incredible I, I really like it what he did for NBC I forgot I forgot how really bizarre and quirky and some of the things he did on the show so if you guys have a chance if you're free I'll have to go back on YouTube and find some of the old clips all, watch all clips especially when he was on Late Night with Dave Letterman with NBC um, that was his first 11 years last 22 years he was CBS very funny too and what I really like especially when the stuff he did with Julia Robert how charming he is uh, that's, that's really fantastic so all right, so Dave Letterman, um, you didn't watch Mad Max, right? I did not watch Mad Max. Did you watch any of the other movies? You mean in the 80s? Yeah, there's three previous movies. I did not watch them. I'm At sorry, all. Yoshi, I'm not a fan. Okay. You're not a fan because... I'm not a fan because I haven't watched them. Okay. Not because I've watched them and I don't like them. So, I guess we... I will say this much. I've seen it twice. Loved both times. Enjoyed it a lot. I waited 30 years to watch this thing. George Miller made the first three. Are you impressed or thumbs down? Thumbs up. And I don't know. Maybe he... I think he did the third one too with uh, Tina Turner. But I've been waiting 30 years. Here's a couple of things I didn't know about George Miller. One, he's a doctor. I didn't know that. And one of the inspiration for him to make Mad Max movies, he used to work in the emergency uh, room and he saw... The result of horrible car accidents, you know. So I think that kind of inspired him to make a movie about, you know, what is that word that people always use? Post. Uh, Post apocalyptic world, right? right? Yeah. yeah. And um, and it was made with such a very little 
budget. In fact, some of the props that they use to make movies, they will steal in the middle of the night, all the different places. They'll use them, and before the business is open, they'll run in and just put that shit back. <laughs> and and um, why am I forgetting the star of the Mad Max? Uh, Charlize Theron. No, 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 no. Uh, the original. Um, Mel Gibson. Mel Gibson. How did I not watch this and I know this, Yoshi? I. It's interesting. <laughs> He drove his friend to the audition, his actor friend, and he wasn't even looking for the role. And they just kind of asked him to do it on the spot. And they like Mel Gibson. And this is like accidental Hollywood star. How pissed off would you be if you were his friend? Well, I mean, what are you, what are you going to do? <laughs> Thanks, buddy. I'm never letting you drive me to another audition. Well, I, I, my feeling is even if Mel can think, uh, go, I don't think his friend would have gotten it. You know what I mean? <laughs> and I, and, and it, here's, in, here's another weird, not a weird thing, but I don't know how many times I've read this. A fashion model, she just went with her friend. They didn't like the friend, but they picked the girl that kind of reluctantly went with that person. <laughs> I need to start going with other friends to auditions. <laughs> but that has happened multiple times, you know? So, um, you know, Robert De Niro just did... Uh, graduation speech for Titch School of Art for NYU and basically first line that he said like congratulations graduating from here and now you're fucked he really used that word because when you follow um, acting the arts it's creative a writing getting, you are kind of fucked because he basically said if you're a doctor engineer lawyer accountant you will have job right away you know but um, this is a price you pay for following a passion and for a lot of people it's it's it's, uh, it's not al- an issue and also there's a lot of randomness in in it you know how many people do you know that are extremely talented and their career has gone nowhere or just mediocre mm-hmm. and then other people it seems like a combination at this point i'll take a mediocre <laughs> it seems like a combination of talent and also right place right time sure yeah and it was a wonderful speech like this is like this You're is what fucked <laughs> You, you, this is a, a profession that you choose, and you just have to work really, really, really hard. There's no guarantees in life. Um, but the reason why... Um, oh, oh, did you do it because it's hot in here? Yes. Yeah, it feels like Vietnam in here, Rosie. <laughs> but Matt Max, I, I, I think the reason I want to bring it up, because there was a group of men, I don't know what they call them, men's rights movement uh-huh. they were complaining about the movie because they were saying Mad Max was taking too much order for Shelley Steren's character is that how it, is it a book first is it a book or no? it's not a book it's it just it was the movie that uh, George Miller made through okay the, I thought it was a, uh, based on a book I was like is that how it is in a book but first of all okay uh, to be fair there's some issues not fair to men like you know issues like a woman could accuse a guy saying, she, he got me pregnant, this is his baby, he needs to pay child support. And, and I've had friends even telling me, like, it took them almost a year before they proved them, this is not my kid, yeah, my well, DNA. Yeah, can they do DNA testing? It took them a year to... But even then, that woman did not have to compensate that man the money that they took for like a six month to a year, you know? So, that's not fair. And I think uh, when you're separated or you got divorced, uh, visitation rights unless the guy is a psycho uh, the court know. usually favors a woman yeah so there's a lot of things that you know maybe maybe there should be conversation about that having said that 
I think it was just ridiculous. I don't know what they're talking about. This is like anti-men thing. Like, first of all, Shelly Theron's character is one-armed woman. Like, if you ha if you're threatened by fictional women character, I mean, you know, it's just ridiculous. And she's she's a one-armed bitch. Like that that's threatening that's threatening you as a man, you know. And there's a scene where Mad Max, you know, they're far away. The bad guys are riding their uh, vehicle and driving toward where Max is at, but there's all this fog, it's the middle of the night, so they're shooting uh, bullets at him, they can't see. So, my Max shooting a rifle, trying to uh, get rid of the enemy's vehicle's light, and he kept missing that damn thing, right? Mm -hmm. And Sean Stern, one bullet left, put the rifle on the shoulder of my Max, aim and get it right. And, and some guys are complaining about that, like, oh, why, why? What difference it doesn't make? He's not he's not better at shooting, so why don't you give Shelly Stanton's character to do it? Here's an interesting side note trivia. I have a side note trivia too after you. Shelly Stanton's father was abusive. The mom ended up shooting the dad, so the mom killed Shelly Stanton's father. This is a true story. They never talked about it. Shelly Stanton and the mom's very close, and I think you know if the mom's good at shooting. I don't know why it's such a difficult thing to believe Chance the could shoot somebody in long distance. Okay, so as a side note, um, there have been studies done in the military. So initially they thought that women were not able to be sharpshooters and that yeah. women were horrible sharpshooters and men were better at sharpshooting because that's what statistically they were showing. Well, it turns out that the reason Only that once a month they're not good at shooting. <laughs> and once a month they are good at shooting. Oh, yeah. Um, no, it turns out that the reason... Um, women were not good at sharpshooting was because the way the gun is against their breasts, right? Because they have boobs in the way. So they designed... So it shouldn't affect Asian women. <laughs> I'm kidding. So they designed um, a certain bra yeah. or holster that was able to accommodate for women's breasts. Sure. And after that, statistically, the women were better than men at sharpshooting. Right. So actually, statistically, women are better at sharpshooting than men if their breasts are pushed back correctly. Yeah, and it's, this is very strange because I remember watching Ken Burns' Civil War and some white people couldn't believe that black people could, be, black men could be an integral part of military. Like, they, they, don't, they wouldn't know how to shoot guns, yeah. which is ridiculous <laughs> if you deal with 80s in, in South Central LA, how good they were with shooting. But um, once giving the freedom to fight, yeah, these guys were, have no issue shooting Confederate white men. You know? <laughs> So yeah, so it's just a stereotype and the fact that men are getting upset by that, those men, it shows that they don't know anything because statistically women are better at sharpshooting than men. Um, Wait, where did you get that info? It was on NPR and I believe everything on NPR. Um, yeah, they had, they, had a, they had a study on it and they were just saying that they're, they're, it's because of their, the way that they lean on their breast, it's painful or something like that. I'm not going to say they're way better than men. I don't, I don't know. I will find that information, Yoshi, and show it to you. But I don't have a problem with women being sharpshooters in the military. Like, why? I will uh, find the study and show it to you, Yoshi. Um, so, anyway, go watch Mad Max. Uh, don't listen to those idiots talking about anti-men. Uh, so you, th you thought it was good? I loved it. I loved it. I saw it in 3D in K-Town. Did you feel that it was anti-men or no? No. <laughs> It's like, you know, in 50s, like, women stay at home and men go work. That's true. But once run 70 head, 
that's that was just not realistic because guy wasn't making enough money. It's it's at the point where women have to go work because that's just necessity, right? Yeah. So if you're living in a post whatever world where you know dog eat dog, Asian guy eat dog world. <laughs> You can't just neglect other half a population. If the, if your survivor depend on it, and I give a guy a gun to a woman, like if look at Israel, that's why they probably be Arabs, Arab Muslims neglect half of their population. They probably could be a good part. Have of you the, seen some of those Israeli female soldiers? They scare the crap out of me. Yeah. Have you ever seen a demonstration where they like unarm a man with the Krav Maga stuff? I mean, they're badasses. They are badass. They have that too with ISIS. They have no choice. They have, um, not ISIS, but they have they have some Afghani women that are armed now, like mm-hmm. a special faction. Because I guess I, I I may be wrong, so don't get mad at me and chop off my I, head. I ISIS. think I know what you're gonna say. What what? That um, in a, something to do with Islam, where if you got killed by a woman, yes, uh, you go you say it, up. so I don't say it because. I'm, no, I mean, I've heard, I, I, I've heard that before. So repeat what you just said? No, they really believe that that's why... Um, that's why they're arming women, by the way. Like the Kurds have like all women uh, fighting for us. And I think Muslim men believe, some Muslim men believe that um, according to their religion, if you get killed by a woman, you're going to hell. Anyway, so they're arming women soldiers, and some of those chicks are badasses. I would not want to meet them anywhere in the street. I'm, I was scared. <laughs> I don't believe that that uh, afterlife nonsense. But like, what difference does it make if the finger that pulling the trigger to kill you is a man or female? Trigger, trigger is a trigger. You know what, what if I mean? they're hermaphrodite? What if oh, they're transgender? Shut up. <laughs> now, now you're acting like me. So check out the movie. Don't believe it. And it's it was interesting. There, there's a scene where they they. They're basically driving out of there. Charlie Stearns helping these five, literally secret Victoria's Secret looking, uh, Victoria's Secret model looking girls, out of bad guys' home. And there's all these five hot chicks escaping with Charlie Stearns <laughs> and Matt Max reluctantly helping them. So it was visually beautiful because they filmed in Africa. But those those women were beautiful in the movie. So check it out. Fun action. Ninety percent of it's like constantly moving. You know, to the point of. What was the budget? You said it was shot for almost nothing. Oh no, no, that's the first movie. Okay, okay. This was made around 150 million. Okay. Including the marketing budget. Um, Mad Men. I don't know if you watched that, but it ended uh, a week ago. Another show that was very sad to see ending, but it was a fantastic show. And I can't even explain what that show is about. I mean, on on paper, it's basically about this character. Don Draper played by John Hamm an advertising executive during the 60s and early 70s and he go through both high and low and psychological tribute yeah I mean the guy's genius I mean really that word word get used lightly but John Hamm's character is absolutely a genius and but he has a lot of personal issues a lot of baggages you know and Madman, I highly recommend you watch it because I think it will give you some personal growth because it, it's really interesting. And I highly recommend you watch it and read AV Club's recap from um, Season 1, Episode 1. Read it after you watch it. Because it really is like time machine. You can't get me addicted to any more shows. You already have two or three shows for me. and I. I... It's so good, Rosie. And Ugh. it's like time machine, how women are treated back then. The sexism, oh my God. 
I've worked in porn for 14 years, 15 years. It is so uh, terrible. I mean, racial stuff is terrible too, but sexism is just absolutely just... I mean, it, it's just terrible. I mean, I, I don't know what else to tell you. It's just disgraceful that people are treated that way. And the pr one character named Joan, who is like bombshell sex pot, it was interesting at the end of the series, she she became this pro-feminist, post-modern, modern woman, you know. It was very surprising how she, she has changed throughout the series. Let me ask you a question because I get a lot of hatred online or I've seen a lot of hatred online. A lot of men who are very, very angrily anti-feminist. What do you think that's about as a man? I guess, the first of all, it depends what kind of feminism, too, you know? Yes. I mean, if you're like a nut saying, any woman having sex with a man, she's, she's raped. Like, you know, that's, that's going crazy. Yeah. No, but I'm talking about just general feminism. I see a lot of that online with guys just stereotyping anyone who says feminist as a lesbian, you know, carpet-munching, dick-cutting-off psychopath. That's ridiculous. Um, I just think if I was a woman, I would, I would like to be treated the same way. Um, I know when somebody's taking advantage of being a woman and, and trying to be a victim, I don't like that shit at all. But Or trying to get something because she's a woman, right? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm not a fan of that. But there's absolutely time when someone's getting mistreated. I wouldn't like that at all. Um, but, my man, it's really interesting. Like, it's, it's what really is anthropological. I can't even say it. Anthropological. <laughs> and sociological study of how people work. Your Japanese accent is too strong. And in the 60s. So, if you haven't watched it, it really is one of the five, four or five Mount Rushmore of the great TV. Okay, give me the top five so I can just watch those and be done with them because you keep getting me addicted to more shows. I mean, I'm just talking about last 15 years. Okay, last 15 years, top five. Okay. Yoshi, Yoshi didn't top five list. Not necessary in order, but I, I will put The Wire. It's absolutely necessary that you should watch that. Mad Men. Um, depends on who you talk to. But I'm asking for the Yoshi didn't list. Okay, so five, five shows. I have to say The Wired, The Breaking Bad, Done. Um, Mad Men. And I, I, I have to put, you know the one show that the people putting a lot, and maybe I didn't understand it because I've seen it, Deadwood. That get, that's on the like top five list all the time. And you, you, know? you don't get it? You don't like it? I liked it a lot, but I, I didn't know that it, 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 it deserved to be in the same conversation with the other shows. You know, maybe, I, it's only like two seasons, too. Yeah, I was going to say, wasn't it canceled? It was canceled. Um, so I, maybe I, I we, we need to revisit someday. <laughs> Game of Thrones for me, sure. I, I think I think it will be part of that Mount Rushmore. It depends on how the shows end. I think the way you end your career, ending a show, is important. Right? It's very important. I think, like Six Feet Under, I I kind of enjoyed it, but it has one of the best ending of all time. Have you ever watched that show? No. At the end of the show. Uh, basic, Don't tell me. What if I start watching it? At this point, you, you don't know exactly what you're going to see, but uh, I, I, I don't think it's a huge giveaway. Okay, fine. It's basically, at the end of it, it's six feet under. It's, just, it's obviously a business of a, a funeral, and 
it, it revolves around the family business of the funeral business, right? Um, so at the end of it, basically all the major character on the show, it will basically show clips of how they die. That's it. Okay. I, 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 I thought it was ironically, beautifully done. because like poetic? Poetic ending to them, you know. Um, so that, that was great. But at the show that has one of the most interesting, the great last season, and I have to say last two episodes of the gut-wrenching ending, it's, it's the shield. Oh, my God. It's, it, it breaks your heart. Just terrible things that happen to people, terrible things that people do to each other. But it has this amazing, amazing ending to it. Um, I thought you were going to say Lost. No, the Lost is the. I think it's a huge fraud. The ending, you mean? It, it, With it, the whole weird funeral thing, right? No, it just. I think the whole series. I think it has a, one of the amazing first season. It, it has definitely the one of the best pilot episode. But uh, you could tell they really didn't know what they were doing. Like, they didn't know. They were kind of making shit up. You mean the writers? They were making shit up. They didn't know. Like, the Game of Thrones showrunners, I, I really do know what, what the ending's going to be. Hey, everyone. Rosie's eating, so she's not going to have a medical problem. <laughs> Sorry, my blood sugar's crashing. But I think Lost, I just think they were making shit up as they went. Um, but The Wire, please watch that. Madman. I told Andrew to put it in the Netflix queue, but he doesn't want to do it. You gotta talk to him after. Well, why do you have to watch it with him? You can't just watch it on your own. Because we watch shows together. That's our thing. But it, uh... he doesn't want to watch it because he doesn't want to get addicted to another show. I told him it's only five seasons. It's only five seasons. Mad Men. No, The Wire. Yes. You know, only only thing I could tell him about The Wire is it's very much like baseball. It's very slow. You just gotta like appreciate. Like I tried to watch it first time. I watched a couple episodes. Like, eh, I'm not feeling it. I didn't watch it. But that one year I waited. I keep hearing how everyone recommended it. So like, all right. Then the second time around, about a year later, I watched the whole thing. Man, that's when I got it. Do you know that Wendell Pierce went to my high school? Oh no, I didn't know that. Yeah. He's one of the main characters. Well, he was first couple of seasons. For he sure. was, and he's in Treme. Yeah. And Treme is another one I have to give myself a chance because Molly, Lam- Molly Lambert wanted to write her for um, Grantland. And I really rec- uh, trust her. Uh, I don't think you'll like it. You watched it? I love it, but I don't think you'll like it. Oh, that's interesting. You watched that. Oh, yeah, I loved it. You watched the whole thing? Uh, I'm one season away from finishing. Oh, wow. Why do you think I wouldn't like it? Um, one, it's very slow. Two, it's, there's really no plot. It's all about showcasing the culture of New Orleans, which I love because I grew up there. Yeah. And you're so, like, not into New Orleans. I don't think you'd like it. I like the food. It's just... It, because something bad happened last time I was there and uh, ugh. I think you should give it a chance honestly I'm surprised I'm gonna watch it I'm gonna watch it I'm surprised you're not more in love in New Orleans because of the history of it. it it's like a history buff's like like wet dream there's so much history there that it's hard to even know it all I took Louisiana history in school yeah I mean just the French influence 
the Spanish, the Spanish influence, the fact that it was such a pivotal part in most of American history, sure. which a lot of people don't really even know. And if you like jazz, it's such an important part of that. It's the birthplace of jazz. It's the birthplace of. There's so much to it. It was the largest city in the United States pre-Civil War, bigger than New York City. Um, For most part, it was one of the first city to be pretty liberal with black people. Black people owned slaves. Yeah. In fact, New Orleans is one of the the areas that was pissed off about um, uh, Reconstruction because black people had more um, liberties before Reconstruction. Is that right? Yes. And there was black slave owners and there was black... You know, a lot of people don't know that, but there was a huge... Um, what they called bourgeois culture down there, a lot of Creole people and mixed black people who could own slaves, own land, all this stuff. And after Reconstruction... Huge, huge French influence. Huge French influence. And after Reconstruction, a lot of that those rights were taken away and redistributed sure. and other things like that. So it was one of the places... Prostitution was legal. There was a huge red, huge red light district. There was a lot of pirating. The yeah. history there is like just... No other city compares as far as history is concerned. So I'm surprised you're not more in love with it. I know something bad happened to you down there, and I know that there's a lot of crime, and it's definitely a very urban city, and sometimes people cannot feel safe. But the history, and if you're into architecture, the history of the architecture, yeah, it's just absolutely amazing for a history buff. Um, I mean, I have to say, while little I know in jazz, I kind of enjoy watching Kim Burns' jazz series. And New Orleans, I'm sure, have a great club. But I have to also say, the food was great. It was just like the stickiness because of the, the time of the year I went and just crazy shit happened, um, you know. I mean, your mom was great. She took us to meal. She, she, it was like GPS, uh, you know, There's a where strong- she would say, oh, this corner where my Rosie won a war for this. And she goes, <laughs> it was a, a lot, it was a lot, there was a lot of that. Sorry about that. You didn't get the New Orleans history tour. You got the Rosie Tran tour for my mom. Yeah. But there's a lot of history. In addition to that, there's a lot of ethnic history. The fact that there's a lot of Vietnamese people there. There's a lot of yeah. Asians there. You know, people always tell, say when I, you know, tell them I'm from Louisiana, they go, oh, was that hard for you? Were there a lot of Asians there? I'm like, there are tons of Asians there. There's like a lot of Asians there. You know, so it's just, it's a very, definitely... A very unique place. Give Treme a chance if you hate it, whatever. But it is very slow. No, no, no. It's I, very I, slow. Uh, I could say the same thing about The Wire, but I definitely want to watch it because um, David Simon, I'm a big fan of his. Um, they're just. He's a crime writer, right? Crime? Yeah. He was a cop or something or an investigator? He's or a, a writing buddy. There were two people that actually worked on the show. One, the cop who later became a teacher, and that became part of the story too. So he saw crime. But in addition to how neglected these kids, that has a lot to do with what they're going to end up doing down the road, which is if they don't know, if they didn't get adequate education, chances are they're going to, well, I mean, crime is probably one of the few options they really have, you know. And I like Charmaine because they feature the Vietnamese community as well. Oh, I didn't know that. Which they don't do. A lot of New Orleans stuff, they never, you know, I hate when they show something that's not authentic. Like they have, you know, Beverly Hills 902 and the whole cast is white. Yeah. It's like, really? There's no Persians in this show? There's no... There's oh, no- friends, they're in New York City and you don't see minorities? Yeah, exactly. Just, it just doesn't make sense. But in Treme, I like it. They feature the Vietnamese community. They, You know, not that much, but they feature it. And they feature a lot of um, the Native American heritage as well yeah. in New Orleans. So I, I like... I thought it was very authentic. So for me, it was very nostalgic and it was very authentic. Um... 
So watch Mad Men. I mean, it's 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 a visually beautiful show, incredibly well written show. Right, I'll uh, put it on my list. And um, it's it, it's incredible ending. I I um. Yeah, what can you say? America is full of dumb people and smart people, and, <laughs> and um, I just I'm all for geniuses of the world moving to America because Don Draper, who was played by John Hamm, boy, he was a genius, a genius with many baggage and flaws. But it was um, such an enjoyable experience for me. I would like to watch it again. And this is a show that I didn't, I didn't really get a good hold of you know so this is probably will like to watch it again I met Matt Weiner Matt Weiner the creator Weiner Weiner I met him how did that happen I didn't know that um so Mad Men came out when I was still in college and I was in a screenwriting program and so we went to the Directors Guild not the Writers Guild of America excuse me yeah and met him it was a very intimate um meeting it was less than I don't know 15 students and we mm -hmm. got to talk to him very interesting person <laughs> he actually wrote the entire series before it even started. So most people write the first episode or the first season. He wrote, what is it, seven seasons? Yeah. He wrote all seven seasons. He did? Yes. Are you sure about that? Yes. Okay. From what he told us. Yeah. And he wrote what is called a show Bible. And he created this show Bible with all seven seasons and all the character breakdowns from beginning to end. And he was a struggling writer. His wife is a, a CPA and she supported him. Right. While he was trying to sell the show. And, um, I mean, this is what he told me. Maybe that's not true or whatever. That's what he told us. It's interesting because he was, uh, he worked on The Soprano. He was an assistant. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, um, I think, I think if I remember right, part of the job, reason why he got the job based on the strength of the stuff he wrote for Mad Men years before. And, um, they could, you know, I'm sure good showrunners, good producers could read something they have an eye for talent. They obviously saw it. This was his first show that he did everything. It was the first show he was a producer. It's the first, sure. first show he was a showrunner. And um, he just went from Sopranos to this. So he's only done two projects in Hollywood. Obviously, this is a huge project. Well, I mean, I put Soprano and the Mad Men in like a pantheon, the great show in the last 20 years. So Yeah, so, and he, um, yeah, he, he was a struggling writer. He had never really written anything else. Wrote. He said he wrote the entire series mm -hmm. over the course of a couple summers, and his wife was supporting him, you know, making money. Um, that's actually the advice that he gave us. He said, if you want to be in the entertainment industry, marry someone with a steady job. Yeah. <laughs> well, I know the last two years, he got like $10 million per year, yeah. you know, well-deserved. And um, he went to all the other networks, and nobody wanted it, so he went to AMC. AMC had never had an original series before this, if right. you look at it. And they took a huge risk on him. And the reason he went with AMC, um, they, you know, was one because they were the only network that wanted it, and two because because they were wanting to branch out from sure. what they were doing, and um, two because they gave him the most freedom. Also, I, I think without Mad Men, who knows if uh, AMC would have had Breaking Bad? You know, they but, probably wouldn't. They yeah. were looking to branch out, but the, Mad Men was a huge success for them, even in the first season. Sure, but um. Yeah, I forgot. I, I never told. But you know what's so weird about uh, because you haven't watched the show, but it it's it's it, to me a funny irony that here is a show about this genius executive type in advertisement, and it's a that's that's name of the show. But AMC was not able to market the show for uh, to the masses, you know, because the number is nothing even close to Breaking Bad's last season, you know. But I guess 
I guess when you have a show that makes this kind of demands on people, it's like you know those really hard courses in college with good teachers. Mm -hmm. People rather take easier class that doesn't demand a lot. So you watch CSI. CSI. North <laughs> CSI Burbank, CSI yeah. New York 2, CSI The Bronx. Nothing wrong with those shows because they brought a lot of money. Uh, Into the network, a lot of work. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But those shows, you could watch each episode independently. One episode doesn't depend on previous episode, you yeah. know what I mean? So, but man, man, boy, talk about a piece of work. You know, this, it's, it's, it's beautifully done. Yeah, so anyway, I met him six, seven years ago and he was a very nice guy and he talked to us for about two hours. And... I like to talk about Bill Simmons because I'm a huge fan of his. He was uh, the biggest talent, in my opinion, for ESPN. And I, I combine Dave Letterman with Don Draper's character. They ended up with Bill Simmons because the things that Bill Simmons has done in the last 15 years in sports journalism, and it's really different. And he's fired now, right? Yeah. Or they quote unquote did not renew his contract. Right. So, in my. I think that's a scam? Do you think that's a scam that they said he, they couldn't renew his contract or they couldn't come to? Oh, it's it's. What do you mean scam? Like a lie? Like they're just saying that because they don't want to renew his contract because of the comments that he made? Oh no, um, I I I think it's you could read between the line. Basically, there's things that uh, Bill Simmons was saying hurting the company because ESPN have ten, twelve, fifteen billion dollar deal with NFL, and he was criticizing and, the NFL, right? The, the commissioner, commissioner yeah, yeah. Uh, did it last year and uh, a couple of weeks ago. So you don't think he got a warning? Like they they didn't like or like you don't think they he got suspended it? last year for three weeks for the criticism? Yeah. Okay, so that's a warning. Um. Yes, and uh, he got trouble recently because he questioned Roger Goodell's lack of testicular fortitude. <laughs> That's a very PC way of saying it. So what happened was New England Patriot got in trouble for deflating a football yes. last year, early this year. And they did this 243 pages of report saying, uh, basically, with the circumstantial evidence, the quarterback, the golden boy. Tom Brady. Tom Brady. Had his equipment guys deflate the ball because it's easier to have a grip on the ball, it would be easier for him to throw. Now, people who depend on Tom Brady say, well, they beat the shit out of New England, I mean, uh, Indianapolis Colts by 30 points or whatever. That, you know, it wasn't a factor. But people who countered by that saying, you know, President Nixon broke into Democratic headquarters, Watergate, um, to get advantage, see what they were doing. And during the, uh, you know, after that year, year and a half, whenever it was, the election, well, Nixon was landslide, beat the shit out of everyone. Well, people make argument, well, Nixon going to win big anyway, but he didn't know at the time when he broke, broke into Watergate. Obviously, if you know you're going to win big, you're not going to try to cheat. Yeah, you cheat because you didn't know if you're going to win. So the intention was bad. And I, what I've heard is that um, the team is accepting this report and Tom Brady is going to appeal. Do you think he's being a baby about it? Tom Brady's going to personally appeal. He wants to appeal. Yeah, he appealed. Um, I, 
there's a couple of things, you know. I, I think he's mainly worried about his, his reputation. Well, it's already tainted. Yeah, well, I, I do think it's tainted. Idiot. I do think it's tainted. Um, and two, you know, quarterback position is, is precarious because I don't know how many guys got injured, took a one game off, somebody uh, replaced him for that one game or however long. And next thing you knew it, they lost that spot because whoever that replaced them was better than them. Mm -hmm. So people like Leno never had guest host. <laughs> never had a guest host. There's, he said, fuck that. I am not going to let anyone guest host, you know, because. Someone might, guest host, the ratings are like up the roof and you lose your job, right? It could happen, you know. Um, like I never understood like when John Oliver was hosting Comedy Central, like I would have done like. John, we will let you host the show when John, uh, John um, Stewart's gone. But, um, but if you're going to give you this opportunity, we want you, also want you to sign this contract saying we have option to keep you. Yeah. Because I'm not saying I'm not happy for Trevor Noah. I am. I didn't know who he was. I think he'll be fantastic. But if they had an option on John Oliver, they probably would have won him over Trevor Noah, who's a young guy. And who is an unknown at this point. Yeah. Yeah. I think he would be fantastic, but I just don't understand why they didn't have a, like a contract written that say we have an option on you. Because HBO is the sole benefit. Like that show on HBO is fantastic. John uh, yeah, John Oliver is fantastic. So it's very strange. Like why give somebody op option to host your show, and if if that person turned out to be good, why why not have some? They probably weren't thinking. About they, I don't think so yeah. either. So. Um, so you think Tom Brady is afraid of having someone replace him? I mean, I think that's... I don't know if he's afraid, but that's something that you have to worry about, right? How many years do you think he has left in his career? He's 37 years old. He said he wanted to play for another 10 years if he he's could. He's fucking crazy. He's done in like two years. <laughs> it's funny that someone who doesn't follow sports... It doesn't like matter. He's too old. He's done. Man, give... I have, a, I have a chip on my shoulder about these people who go on and on and on and on at the top. Give someone else a chance. You made your millions of dollars. You're married to the hottest supermodel in the world. You're a you know, millionaire. Just give it up, dude. But don't you think the reason why he's so successful because he's so competitive? And that's just not, not surprising to me. I don't have a problem with him playing. I, I do question, like, long-term health. Let me tell you something. This is an ego move by Tom Brady, and I don't care if I don't follow sports. This is, like, psycho basic psychology. He wants to go on and on with his legacy yeah. and be the golden boy and blah, 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 blah. It's like, dude, give it up. First of all, just by having... I had Lewis Howes in my podcast. He was you know, a professional player. He didn't play for that long. But, you know, he was saying a lot of these guys, football players, big, big football players, they want to kill themselves after they, they stop because there's no... That's their passion, right? And then it's yeah. over. So you know, a lot of them end up killing themselves, committing suicide, getting yeah. drug addiction, whatever, blah, blah, blah. It's all ego. He doesn't want to have to deal with himself. You know, this is... I don't want to say he has some, some skeletons in the closet like Bruce Jenner, but Bruce Jenner even talked about it. Bruce Jenner talked about he had to win. He had to be the golden boy. Yeah. Because he was hiding these dark secrets. What is the point of going on and on and on and on? How long has... He's had a great career. He's success... Like, just... Retire, dude. 37 is too old. You're gonna... He's gonna have brain damage or something. I mean, it's too much. I, I, I think he's gonna play as however long he can and and um, I think if after coach and ownership they have a different position because they want to win and they, they, they definitely have a good relationship with him because he is part of the franchise legacy too but 
you know, he technically have four game suspension right now, which is, you know, 25%. Which you called? What? Which you called your psychic? And I should have taken bets on that? <laughs> I didn't know for certain if that was going to be the case because I, I, I say four games on the sports podcast on the same day, but three hours before they announced it. The reason I won four games is because game five is in Indianapolis. Indianapolis is the one who snitched on it. So this is almost like my love for wrestling. You know, a lot of talking shit. Like, oh my God, this is going to be great because, you know, Tom Brady, once he's, you know, if he get four game suspension, if, if they don't uh, repeal it, uh, he's going to be so angry. He want to take on the first team he get to play. And how great is this? Like, they're going to be playing against... Why can't you be more accurate with your sports betting in Vegas, Yoshi? Because sports is because it's so unpredictable. <laughs> I, I made some money in football. It just I, I got hockey and basketball. It's not as easy as I thought. But, but uh, to answer, T. Bill Belichick, the coach, I think have a, he has a different take on this. So Tom Brady is suspended four games. I think he see this as a fucking uh, opportunity. Opportunity to see the guy they have, Galapolo, whatever that his name is. This young kid. He's good enough, right? He want he he's probably. I think Billy's just thinking like this is an opportunity for him to see, figure out if this kid have something in him. To get rid of Tom Brady. Yeah, because eventually you have to think about who's gonna play after Tom Brady. So, if he if let's say he this kid plays four games, right? He's really really good. Well, Billy's gonna be excited. Like bye bye Tom Brady. <laughs> See, the way I see it, um, okay, let me give you an analogy. I think this 22-year-old quarterback they picked second round two years ago, um, like you're a guy, now you have two women in your life. You have this hot MILF, you have this hot MILF at 37, but she works out, she looks great, but you have this hot 22-year-old piece of ass, so you're, the, the two girls going to fight for you, right? Haven't you heard these stories where these <clears throat> hot moms competing with their daughters? Yeah. yeah. Like they dress provocatively and you know what I mean? Like, and here's what and, I and say and to that. Like, like you, might say, you might say because you're young, like, give it up. Well, you know what? The 37-year-old hot moms are like, hey, who the fuck are you going to tell me this? <laughs> to end it, I, I still got nice tits. I work out. my, And I know how to fuck better than this. Yeah, and I'm or, still saying give it up. Give someone a chance don't be greedy. You oh, had I'm sorry. your time. I'm sorry, sister, but those hot moms going to fight for it. <laughs> I think Tom Brady needs to give it up. He... I don't think he's going to. I don't think he's going to either because it's all ego. But he has the dream life. You have the wife. You have the family. You have the money. You have the career. Give it up, dude. Go out on top. Listen to David Letterman. Go out on top, dude. I don't have a problem with Tom trying to get two more uh, Super Bowls. And I, as a Seahawks fan, I, I, I don't care if he cheated or whatever. <laughs> During the Super Bowl, Seahawks lost because they gave that fucking game away. That's my feeling about it. So I don't feel like New England cheated on that game. I do think they probably, I think, you know, I just think Troy Aikman, I don't know, you know, I don't know if you know who he is, but he's the uh, Super Bowl winning quarterback. He won three Super Bowl with Dallas Cowboy. He have an impeccable, impeccable reputation. He just say there's no way an NFL quarterback of his caliber can possibly know that somebody not messing around with the ball. 
Because if you're that meticulous and, and a great winner, you pay attention to everything about your job. Mm -hmm. And like for you to grab a ball and not know what's going on, I, that's really hard for me to believe. And they were talking to your quarterback. Drew Brees? Yeah. Jimmy Fallon asked him to grab all these different balls, and he could tell you exactly on a dot how much air pressure was in there. I, I'm, I'm a football fan. I'm amazed. He, he was dead on every fucking time. Yeah, but Drew Brees is like super honorable. He's one of those people that's like... No, no, I didn't say he cheat. I'm no, just no, saying, no. I, I'm saying he's the type of person that would be on it, honest. You know what I mean? Uh, absolutely. Drew Brees is like Mr. Honorable. Like that's his thing. I don't think I don't think Tom Brady is dishonorable either, but I think everyone trying to get a little bit of an edge, he got caught. And but don't you think trying to get a little bit of an edge is being a little bit dishonorable? Uh, being a little bit dishonorable. Look, he didn't murder anyone to get an edge. He didn't kill someone. He didn't slit throats, but he did a little something. He cheated a little bit, just like people who take a little bit of steroids or whatever. I have a mixed feeling about that one. Uh, there's a different level of cheating. And to me, this wasn't like uh, at the high end of it. Okay, so what if you're married like, and okay, you, put, look, you let, just let, put the tip in? Let me, <laughs> let, me, let, me, let me ask you. Like, some people do better at school if they have a coffee. You don't consider that cheating, do you? No. But, that's some, but some people use some stuff like that to give you edge. Now, what happens if a guy is taking Adeline, that medication, because you, it doesn't give you focus? It's not natural, but you're taking something to make help you get. It's it's a fact. You heard it like Upper East Side. These kids take Adeline to get, give them edge, getting better grades. They are kind of cheating. Okay, so what about what about? Um, and I'm, I'm talking about kids who are not even prescribed to that. They will buy them black. Oh, market. I know what you're talking about. Okay, Yoshi. but do you think that's a uh, getting an edge? I do think that's getting an edge. Yes. I do think that's a little bit of cheating. Yes. Just like, you know, what if you... Just but, like, you're, but you're Asian, you're Asian, and if you have a kid doing that, <laughs> uh, it's almost some, a little borderline, isn't it? It's a big difference than, say, hire somebody to steal the test so you have access yes, to it. Yes. That's like bigger, even bigger cheat. I see your point, but I still think he's... What about girls getting boob jobs? That's kind of cheating. <laughs> Look... I, Isn't that a cheating? I have no moral or ethical thing against Tom Brady. Yeah. I just think he was a little bit dishonorable. That's my judgment of him. Now... Okay, if you want to compare it to him like Troy Aikman and Drew Brees, yes, I have to say that. Drew, uh, they, because Drew they Brees been... is like Mr. Crazy, Crazy Honor. He, yeah. he would not... I mean, he's the type of person that just goes out of his way... You know. I will say with Aaron Rodgers, I feel the same way. And Russell Wilson, I don't like when Russell Wilson do too much Bible talk. But <laughs> all right, we got to move on because I'm I'm not feeling well, Yoshi. Okay, and I want to talk about Game of Thrones. All right. Um. Any any anyway. Um. Bill Simmons got fired because he was talking a lot of shit. Um. I I think this is his last straw. You know, NFL have a big deal with uh, ESPN have a big deal. You don't deal mess with their money. Yeah, you, you fuck with money. And we don't worship in this country, Jesus, we worship money. Money is number <laughs> one. So um, I feel bad because I love Bill Simmons. I love his work. It's amazing work. He he combines sports with all kinds of other discipline. But he's fire. I'm mad because I won't be able to hear him for the next four months or even longer until he has a deal with somebody else. So, uh, Or he could go indie the way... Um uh, who was it? Anthony Wenindi from ONA? 
Yes, but you don't have access. That's the thing. Like you're never going to have access like ESPN. ESPN is such a gigantic behemoth. No, I understand that, but he can. He's not going to be on the street. No, like you know, someone else who might get fired from their job. He's going to have other opportunities. I think he's going to go. Uh, if I may make another prediction, I think the best. I think the best situation for him is TNT, because he lo- his favorite sports basketball. TNT have a basketball deal. And they own Bleacher.com, which is like a site with sports. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that that's probably the best scenario. Uh, I think I, he'll be fine. I'm no, no, I, I know he'll be fine because he, he, he has a transcendent talent. Yeah. But I'm, I'm very sad to see him go the way he did. And, we'll hear uh, him again. Uh, I guess that, uh, I think that's the only thing I, I wanted to cover. And you surprised me with some of the knowledge you had. Uh, that's why I have you on the show, Rosie. But what did I surprise you with? Hey, we need to talk about Game of Thrones before I pass out here. All right, let's let's finish. <laughs> Wait, what did I surprise you with? Oh, like I didn't know you know Mike. I mean, uh, Weiner, oh. the the showrunner for uh, Matt Weiner. Matt Weiner, yeah. I don't know him. I met. But you him. met him. Yeah. I listened to him for two hours, and he was very very intelligent. But just like Robert De Niro said, you're fucked. He did say, if you want to be in the entertainment industry, you got to marry someone that has a steady job because you're screwed. <laughs> It's tough. <laughs> Even he he said that he would not have been able to make Mad Men if it wasn't for his wife because he wasn't working for like I think two years while he was writing the series. Sure. And you know you can't just not work, right? So Mad Men never would have been created if he, he hadn't married her because she had a nine to five. Um. All right. Game well, of Thrones. What did you think of the Ramsey rape scene? Sorry, spoiler alert, guys. <laughs> well. Okay, so do you remember the first episode? I'm, I'm going to give you a long run, uh, run to give you my uh, point on this. Okay, but, okay, okay. So remember the first episode, season one, episode one, Daenerys, uh, a Targaryen, one of the major family, was married to this barbarian tribe and married their chief, yes. Drogo. And there was like a rape scene or whatever. Right. And there was a, there was a lot of outrage, I think because, not because people are pro-rape, <laughs> Because it was the first episode, and people really don't know that character and actress, so we haven't developed feeling for that person. So it was like shocking, right? It was shocking, but we didn't. You didn't really have a feeling for that character yet. Sansa, she literally grew up in front of you, so it was very much a front because this is some character you care about. There's been nothing but terrible things happened to her and her family, so I think people feel really, really bad for her because they, you know she's getting raped after marriage, where she was kind of married. She was married to this family because her survivor depends on it. So we feel really, really, really bad. Now, my response was, like, it's very strange to me because I'm not a pro-rape person, even though I'm from Japan. <laughs> but there was this outrage, right? People write, tweeted about it, wrote letter about it, complained about it in show, TV, podcasts, whatnot. But I have to say, at the end of the day, it's still a fucking fictional character. On the same week, on New York Times, in the front page, Boko Haram, this terrorist group in Africa, raped hundreds of girls. You know what I mean? Yeah. And there's a list response to that. So um, I'm trying to figure out why people feel the way they do. And I'm not outraged by it at all. I just thought it was a shocking scene because... For one, it's not real rape. Yeah. Well, first of all, I thought, I thought Reek was going to flip out. Oh, him twitching in the past two episodes around Sansa makes me realize that he's not totally brainwashed as Reek and he remembers being Theon Granger. Sure. Oh, Greyjoy, excuse me. And um, I think he's going to have an integral part in freeing her or helping her or killing Ramsay. 
because of one, everyone wants to see him get revenge on Ramsey. It would be nice if that's the case, but I'm still skeptic because this show never really do anything predictable. I, it would be, it would have been nice when when Ramsey was try, trying to rape her. He comes from behind and stab Ramsey in the back. I thought that's what was gonna happen. I knew that wasn't gonna happen. I was like hundred percent. He, he was sure. like twitching hardcore. And I thought that was going to happen. I thought he was going to stand and jerk off, but he got his stick <laughs> cut off, so he can't do that. I was not that shocked by the rape scene. Um, I kind of knew that was going to happen. But I kind of thought, you know, Bruce Bolden has kind of knocked his son down a couple pegs in the last few episodes. I thought Ramsey was going to... Well, explain to them if maybe they don't know. Okay, so if you guys haven't watched the show, we're giving major spoiler alerts. Sorry about that. Bruce Bolton is Ramsey's uh, biological father. Ramsey's a bastard. And, and he rules the north. There's seven parts, seven kingdoms, seven parts. He and is, he rules one of the major parts. He is a warden of the north, so he's taking care of it for the Lannisters, who gave it to him for um, their betrayal of the Stark, Stark family. family. Um, Stark, who used to be the owner of the northern part. Yes. And, and Stark's are... Uh, uh, Ned Stark is Sansa Stark's father. And Bolton's are marrying to uh, Sansa Stark because... People in North hates Bolton, so if they marry into Sansa Stark, it somewhat legitimized. Yeah. Yeah. So I thought that because Roose has kind of knocked his son down a couple pegs, like, hey, dude, don't be so cocky. And how did he do that? By getting his fat wife pregnant. So fat now Walda. there's going to be another son. By the way, her name is Fat Walta. That's yeah. an awesome name. <laughs> That's her nickname, yeah. Fat Walta. Um, so I thought he was going to be respectful, even though he's Ramsey and he's psycho and all this other stuff and he's been psycho and he cut off Reek's dick and all this other stuff. I thought he was going to be respectful because of the fact that his dad has kind of been like, dude, be nice to her. Yeah. His dad has told him two or three times, you need to be respectful to her. Stop being an asshole. Yeah. And because he's so desperate for his dad's validation, I thought he was at least going to be like just normal. No, that guy's a psychopath. Like Jeffrey... King Jeffrey was mad and crazy, but there's some rational reasons why he wasn't. But Ramsey's just for sake of pure, like, tormenting people. Like enjoyment, right? Yeah. The guy's a psycho. I thought he would more maybe torture Reek, like make him watch or something like that. But he I did th- make him watch. No, no, I know that. But I thought that was going to be the extent of it. Because there was several times where Roos said, kind of like, chill out. Yeah. So, and in front of Sansa. So, obviously, Sansa can go to Roos and say, uh, this is not cool. Because Roos seems pretty even keeled. Like, he doesn't seem like he would flip out. In fact, it seems like if Sansa went to him and said, hey, your son's being psycho, then he would knock him down a few pegs again. Roos is cruel, but not for without a reason. Yeah, and he said that. When Ramsay showed up with Theon tortured, Roos is like, well, why the fuck did you do this? Now we can't use him as a as a, a, a chess piece. Right, because the the... the um, Theon's father wouldn't want him because he doesn't have a dick. He cannot be able to produce his uh, grandkids. Yeah, too. so Roos was irritated. He's like, why Why did you do this? And he's like, you're an idiot. He basically said he was an idiot in, right. you know, fancy Game of Thrones language. He's like, you're a freaking idiot. So what What do you think? I mean, what, why do you feel like... I think they did it for shock value and it doesn't make sense as far as the plot's concerned other than the fact that Ramsey's psycho. I don't think it was earned, you know? Narratively speaking, yeah, like, it didn't. It didn't match. Um, I think people are outrageous because they like Sansa Stark, but I wasn't shocked by it. But it wasn't. It didn't match the storyline. Okay, this doesn't make sense to me. Can you explain this, to Miyoshi? Okay. So, Peter Baelish set up the arranged marriage, convincing the the Boltons that marrying Sansa would legitimize them. Correct. Yeah. Um, but this is a secret marriage because the Lannisters don't like Sansa Stark, and 
they gave Roos the North. So what possible way could he convince Roos to have his son marry Sansa? I don't, I don't understand. Because he, he would piss off the Lannisters. So is Roos trying to piss off the Lannisters? Like, I don't get it. Um, I, I, I don't think that the purpose of marriage is trying to piss the Lannister, even though they're a thousand miles away from each other. But don't you think he would piss off the Lannisters if they found out? Like, what? What? Why could Roos is really smart? Why would he agree to this? He would agree to it because it, it, they're going to have a difficult time holding on to the North, because the people who live in the Northern Land is still fiercely loyal to Stark family. So I think the thinking is, what good is a holding North? Uh, what, what good is it trying to keep a peaceful alliance with Lannisters if they cannot hold the North? But don't you think Cersei would like? cut off his head when she found out yes but the first priority is trying to hold the land okay i i just don't I, to me that doesn't plot wise make sense either because if, if i was Roos, i'd be like no i'm not gonna have my son marry her she belongs to you know in king's landing i mean the sforza and and um what's that family Unless Roos thinks that he's, unless Roos thinks that he, he, unless his, his true desire is to be on the Iron Throne himself and throw, overthrow the Lannisters. I don't know if he's that ambitious or if that's realistic, but I still say priorities, are they able to maintain power in the North? And if people still hate them, the first priority is to able to control your land. You can't think about secondary country trying to invade your country when you, you when you don't have your domestic issues taken care of. So I think I, it makes a lot of sense to me to have solidified marriage so they have a solid hold to their land. Then they will deal with other issues. But the first priority is, are they able to stay in the northern land and hold on to it legitimately? And I think the mayor in Sansa is, is one step forward to that. So I, it's, a, it's a move that has price. But, the, but there's more upside to that decision than downside, I think. And then I kind of don't understand him marrying Walda. I mean, I understand that is an alliance between Walter Frey, but why didn't he offer one of Walter Frey's daughters to his son and then marry Sansa himself? I mean, I know it's creepy and disgusting, but it's not unheard of in that time to have a 50-year-old guy marry like a 16-year-old girl. That was normal. It doesn't benefit him, though. It does, because he, he can have a child with her and then and he can have Sansa. As, as his wife and legitimized that's more legitimate wait wait you mean Walder Gray no 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 um Roos why doesn't he marry her why doesn't he offer Fat Walda to his son and then marry Sansa why did I, I didn't get that because doesn't it make more sense for him to marry Sansa Stark that's what I don't get I think Walder Gray specifically won Roos to marry so their home their houses are Aligned. Aligned. Okay. It just seems like it would make more sense for him to offer not to mention Ramsey it, it, to but then but, but also I have to say it seemed like bad taste for two reasons. One, she's way older than him. Not to mention he stuck a dagger into his her brother's heart. Ramsey, you could say whatever you want, but he really didn't have any role killing, killing her family. Yeah. So I think that's why. Um, but it is true. You, you want to have a, a strength over your land, uh, killing will take you so far, but people will resent you. Marriage is, has a very lasting effect, I think. And European history is full of it. Like, how do you protect yourself? Marrying off your kids into other countries. 
That way, it's hard to go to war with another country when your family members in that country. Yeah, you know, and your and your relatives and your family and their sure. extended family and all this other stuff. And I think the same thing happened with um, uh, Attila the Hun. He he was one of the tribes' uh, son, and to keep peace with Roman, Attila the Hun was living among Romans. To, uh, Tokugawa Ieyasu, who ended up unifying Japan in the 16th century, was living off the enemy's home. That was a common practice. Uh, it's, I just think people realize throughout the world, how do you keep alliances uh, safe through putting one of your family members as a hostage? They call it marriage, but it's called <laughs> hostage. But uh, I want to end it by saying, why, why do you think people are more outraged about Sansa and not real girls getting raped? Um, because people get sucked into these fantasy worlds and they're, they're it, entertainment is a way to distract from reality yeah and I think unfortunately uh, Hollywood is very 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 good at distracting people yeah and um, so people are not focused on the real issues and that's something I love about Hollywood and something I really dislike about it is that people get sucked in people get sucked into the Kardashians and they get obsessed with their Kardashians meanwhile their marriage is falling apart or their kids are doing drugs and they're not you know stressed out about that they're sitting around being outraged Kim Kardashian took a naked picture with her butt in a trash can or trash bag or whatever and all this stupid stuff so I you know unfortunately people a lot of people don't live in the real world they live in these fantasy worlds and they get addicted to these fantasy worlds and you know they're not paying attention to what's going on around them um, I, it's interesting you say Kardashian because I think the reason why people like that show especially if you come from broken home or not really I don't know if you're if you feel <laughs> if you feel like if you feel like you're missing on like a healthy house, a family lifestyle, or having a family in general. No matter how goofy Kim Kardashian might be, at the end of the show, it's about family and there's like a happy kind of ending to it. Yeah. And I think people really appreciate that. Even I, even though it sounds goofy, but that's what I really think. I think people are addicted to it for multiple reasons. Some people love to hate her. Yeah. Some people, you know, love the show because it's so silly and it's it's very light, and the problems are very light. You know, so, you know they've had some darker problems, but you know Scott is an alcoholic and all this other stuff. But they keep it pretty light on the show. Sure. And um, I just think it's a distraction. And I I love watching shows, but that's why I'm trying not to get too addicted to so many shows because people use it as a way to avoid their own lives. And, um, you know, 100-plus girls getting raped in real life and no one bats an eye, right? So. Now, this is my defense to people who complain about stuff like that. Now, we'll finish with this. My theory was, why did they complain on TV show, radio, tweet to them, write angry letters or emails? It's because by doing that, they actually have some impact. Maybe the writers hear so much of it, maybe down the road, Maybe they're not gonna pull this shit again. I think I think it is realistic to say if they complain enough, maybe they will have some impact. But you can do that in real life. You can write letters to the president. You can write letters to the governor and other things. I, I think for most people, they feel like they have a better chance having impact in the fictional show than say world issue because they don't feel they're just over. I think most average person like overwhelmed. Like what what could you possibly do? It's the same reason why. Americans know more about sports than international affair. I agree with you that that's what people feel, but I'm saying that's not the reality. And I'm someone who has written letters to my congressmen and senators and councilmen, and I've had change happen. Yeah. I, I think most people don't feel that way. That's why they're into sports and TV shows. 
because it, it will take extra effort to make changes. You know, um, Jerry Kurtzman, friend of ours, he told me about this character from Ireland. His name is Tom Highland. I think his name is Tom Highland. He was just a, basically a, a bus driver in Ireland 25 years ago, 20 years ago. He was just a bus driver. Just a high school educated guy. Probably never traveled overseas. Just average Irish guy. He saw this documentary about East Timor in Indonesia where people in East Timor are being abused. Oh, the genocide? Yeah. He said, fuck this. He quits his job. He sells everything. He goes to East Timor and tries to make changes. 20 years later, he actually had an impact changing the, you know, all these terrible things in East Timor. And it's amazing because most people are not going to do that. Oh, but I'm not saying you have to do that, but I'm saying but you, writing a letter to the, you know, the, to the Game of Thrones Twitter or whatever and writing a letter to your congressman or your senator, it has the same impact. When someone, I'm telling you... But, but I'm just saying, people who write into a show think they have a... You know, oh, I agree. I agree that they feel... Higher right. chance of having impact in, say, United Nations, whatever, for all these abuses overseas. I, I agree with you that they feel that way. I'm saying that's not the case. Yeah. And I'm saying... I'm inclined to say they probably have a chance. I, I, I do think it's easier on TV shows. But anyway, uh, Andrew's down here, and I think uh, we talk long enough. Um, Sorry, Osh, I would have gone longer, but I'm not feeling I'm, well. I'm, I'm, I'm getting kind of sleepy, too, because I, uh, I was worried not able to do it. But um, Rosie, uh, you want to mention your podcast name again? And yeah, guys, me? please check out Out of the Box Podcast. I have some pretty cool guests coming up um, in the past few weeks, so check out who I've got. And also, many requests for a finance issue. I did two solo personal finance issues recently, um, episodes, excuse me. And also, follow me on Twitter at FunnyRosie. And uh, if you have a question, email me at dumbyoshi at gmail.com. You can follow my Twitter account, Yoshi Obayashi. And just uh, complain, praise on iTunes, comment area. That would be nice if you could do it. Tell them to uh, give me five stars. Give me, <laughs> give me five ninja stars. So, but thanks for listening. This was a fun episode. We talk a lot of different things. And uh, if, you, if there's a subject matter that you want us to talk about, and believe me, we're not expert in anything. But um, if you want us to talk about something specific, just email me or tweet or Facebook me, and um, that's it. So have a nice Memorial Day weekend, and if you're in Phoenix Eric, please come to the panel for Phoenix Comic Con and uh, watch me do stand-up shows in those two venues that I talked about earlier. All right, thanks, guys, and talk to you guys soon. Bye.